0: Uh, We find ourselves in the complete green letters, chapters 29 and 30. If you'll open your book to the table of contents, uh, you will see on the first page, part one, Principles of Spiritual Growth. That is a book in and of itself. Notice at the bottom of the page, chapter 19, is the first chapter of part two, The Foundations of Spiritual Growth. And tonight, we're actually beginning on the next page of your table of contents, Part 3, The Ground of Growth. We're going to be looking at our history in the first Adam, our history in the last Adam. Then down here near 40, Part 4, The Realization of Spiritual Growth. And then Part 5 at 55, A Guide to Spiritual Growth. So, um, these are five books within this one book. And... uh, So, if you'd like to turn to page 139, uh, notes I posted online on the community page. So, if you're uh, watching from home, you can get them there. Let's go ahead and pray, and we will start filling in some blanks and answering questions. Father, we thank you for your love, for your care, for this time together. Thank you for this little book, uh, small chapters, good stuff. Do pray, Lord, that as we go through these things, that uh, you would be pointing out the areas where we need to understand and grow, and that uh, we would be encouraged in our faith and in our spiritual walk uh, because of it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So on page 139, uh, I don't know about you, but the first chapter, uh, page, uh, chapter 29 here, I got a lot of stuff and, of course, came up with 10 questions. Um On the second chapter, I got less stuff. I don't know. Maybe that says something about me. But uh, number one there, we cannot blank what we already are in Christ until we know what we were in Adam. We cannot become what we already are in Christ until we know what we were in Adam. And and I, I think part of the reason is at least in my experience, observing things in the churches over the years, is if you don't understand that you bring absolutely nothing to the table, then you're probably going to, after you're born again, you're probably going to be relying on your own self just a little bit more than you should. And a little bit more means a little bit. Because you should never lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, it's not that God doesn't give wisdom and that you can't, through that wisdom that He gives, make a decision or anything like that. But as long as you think you can handle it, you're probably not going to be going to God to get that wisdom. So, okay, number two. Uh, And and the answer is in the chapter. I just didn't uh, type it out so you could fill in a blank. What is our responsibility concerning our position in Christ? To keep off the old ground and live on the new ground. Now, in, the, uh, in Ephesians, you'll see where we're to put off the old man. The reality is, think about that passage for just a moment with me. It says, put off the old man... Some, some versions say put off the conduct of the old man. Um, if you have died with Christ, been buried with Christ, been raised again to walk in newness of life, and you're a new person, where's the old man? He's dead. He was crucified with Christ, right? Now, what that means is you're not legally attached to him anymore. He still has all kinds of influences on you if you let him. Romans chapter 4. Things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. The things I hate, those are the things that I do. So, yeah, he's still actively involved through uh, the world, Satan, uh, the flesh, but uh, you're not legally obligated to listen to him anymore. Uh, So, uh, getting back to our question, our responsibility is to. Reckon it to be so. That, that part of me, I don't have to listen and uh, put on the new man. Well, if you've been baptized with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, you have put on the new man. So he's actually saying, live out who you are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Okay, number three. What is true about the life we inherited from Adam? Again, on page 139. Okay, we were born into sin, death, judgment, and condemnation. Um, had a young person in chapel ask me today um, how we're sinners at birth. And I looked at him, and, and he's one of the uh, Caucasian uh, students. And I said, I'm going to bet that both of your parents are neither one of your parents are black. And he goes, Of course not. I go, how did I figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I started explaining that we, through the procreative process, we inherit characteristics of our parents, the physical characteristics. Um, male pattern baldness is actually from my mother's side of the family, okay? Uh, my dad had some Elvis Presley type hair when he was in his 60s, just not fair. Okay. But if you look at my face, you'll see more of my dad than my mom, though you'll see a little bit of my mom in there. Um, And, of course, you look at my kids, and you've got Rachel, Jonathan, Joseph, and Hannah. Uh, Wow. I mean, they're obviously in Osden. And then Lynn and I joke that Daniel has absolutely no Osden DNA because she likes to think that Daniel takes after her father. He didn't get anything from me. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) But um, we inherit our physical characteristics from our parents, and God does it the same way with our spiritual characteristics. So once Adam and Eve had sinned, their bodies are corrupted. The procreative process comes together and produces a corrupted person. Okay, and uh, so interesting that that uh, was actually asked today. Um, number four, let us note three basic aspects of our relationship to the representative man. Number one, our blank of sin, Adam's source. Number two, our blank of sin, Adam nature. And number three, our blank sins, Adam practice, page 139. So uh, what is number one? Our position of sin, that's your Adam source. You're born in sin, okay? Now, uh, Catholic doctrine, and I brought this up in chapel here today too, Catholic doctrine teaches that Jesus is God, come in the flesh, right? And that he died for sin. What we don't understand very often is he died for Adam's sin, for this Uh, number one here, for our position of sin. He does not die for personal sins, and that's why you have to do good things to outweigh the bad things that you do. And if you don't do enough good things, pay enough money, say enough Hail Marys, and all that kind of stuff, then you get to go to purgatory to be purged of your sins by suffering for 50,000 years Uh, with a temperature of a little over 105 degrees. I don't know. (laughs) But that's what they teach. They use a lot of the same words that we do, but they believe that uh, Jesus died for our inborn sin or our position of sin, okay? Number two, our blank of sin, Adam nature. Our nature of sin. Now, this is where... Uh, uh, Doug and uh, Rick are here, well, uh, most here have had children, but you guys are still in the midst of it. (laughs) You know, what's one of the first words that a kid learns, other than maybe mama and dada? No, No, and sometimes stop, depends on how you do things, Uh, that seems to be a favorite one for the people that visit from Benevolence but no or stop is one of the first words they learn because their hearts are bound up with foolishness and so they're always about to do something that could be harmful to them. No, we've got to stop them. Well, somewhere around 15 to 18 months, you'll tell them no and what will they do? They will look at you and do it. See, at that moment, they're sinning by choice, but why? Because by nature, they're a sinner. That's what sinners do. Okay? Alrighty, so that brings us to the th- number three, our blank sins, Adam practice. Personal sins. Okay. So, our next question, uh, I've listed all the Bible verses for you here. According to Psalm fifty-one, one, Psalm fifty-eight, three, Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen, Romans five, twelve, Ephesians two, one to three, what do we learn about our position of sin? So let's uh, look at Psalm fifty-one, five. There, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What do we learn about our position of sin there? You're born into it now. Uh, Pastor did a study on iniquity several years back, and he basically talks about the sinful twist of man. So I was brought forth in iniquity, so that is part of my life, uh, this sinful twist. Uh, And in sin, my mother conceived me. That's not talking about she was doing something wrong. That's saying that uh, when I was conceived, the sin nature is already there. The Adamic sin nature is already there. Okay, Uh, Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. What do we learn about uh, our position of sin? Go astray as soon as we're born. Uh, I I think it's interesting. They go astray as soon as they're born, speaking lies. Kind of like that little bugger doesn't need to be picked up. He doesn't need his diaper change. He doesn't need to be bottle-fed at that moment or breastfed or whatever. He just is dissatisfied with life and wants attention. Uh, I know you've probably all experienced that at some point or another. Uh, so he's, you know, not speaking lies like we think of it. Now it is interesting, the first half of the verse, the wicked are estranged from the womb. Um, we like to put the wicked that's those people over there because of course we have the imputed righteousness of Christ now but what were we like when we were born so okay proverbs 22:15 foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child the rod of correction will drive it far from him so what do we learn about our position of uh, sin <laughs> oh that's not the favored position of many people today. Need to beat it out of them. As, as we go a little bit further in our study in Proverbs, it is interesting what Solomon says. Uh, go ahead and beat him even though he screams, he will not die. Um, why? Because the Holy Spirit knew somewhere in the rush, So, oh, you're hurting him. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Um, I was listening, I was mowing lawns today, and I got my headphones on, and I'm listening to the radio, and the, guy, the preacher was saying, I was uh, talking about parenting styles, and I brought up the fact that God chastises uh, those that he loves. And this guy came up to me afterward and said, God is a God of love and grace, and he just really ripping me one side and the other because of the, what I had taught. I don't believe God's like that. And uh, it just kind of came to my mind, and I blurted it out before I thought about it. I asked the guy, have you ever read the Bible? And the guy said, well, yeah. He goes, all of it? No. It's kind of like, you know, if you're going to argue with me about God's nature and how he deals with his children in love, uh, maybe you ought to at least go and read the whole thing first because, of course, the Bible says over and over, both through example as well as by statements, that God chastises and, and, and scourges, it says, every son whom he loves. Uh, the idea of scourging is not a slap on the hand. It's not a timeout. Uh, it's not capital punishment. It's corporal punishment. I get those confused sometimes. <laughs> okay? Okay. Uh, Because that's how you do it. But what does it say about our position of sin? As a child, our hearts are bound up with foolishness. Okay, Uh, Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? And not only that, but because he sinned, what's true of all of us? Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't like being held accountable for someone else's decision. The problem is, is God is the one that came up with the rules. And God said, Adam, you're going to be the, what we call in theology, the federal head Of all mankind. What happens with you happens to everybody. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a part of me, the rebellious part of me, that sits there and says, Now, wait a minute, I didn't do it. And God goes, And if you had been in the same position, you would have. Uh, Because that's the way we're made. That was the point of the test, if you will. And so, yeah, we've all sinned. We're all born that way. We choose it. Sometimes we're addicted to it. Sometimes we're characterized by the sins of choice. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You'll notice I uh, italicized a few things here in the first verse. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, your Bible says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In uh, some versions, you'll see that the part that I italicized is italicized because those words are not in the Greek. It's put there so that it's easier to understand, okay? Okay. Uh, Ultimately, uh, in our position of sin, we're children of wrath. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. If you will, we're spiritually uh, incapable of doing anything that's pleasing to God. Who did we follow? You said Al? Al? Please don't follow me if that's the case. Uh, Notice it says, according to the course of this world, who's in charge of this realm? Satan, okay. Uh, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, we all conducted ourselves, how? According to the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, By nature, children of wrath, just like the others. So uh, that is what we learn about our position of sin. Now, with those things in mind, what could you do when it it came to becoming a saved person? Absolutely nothing. You didn't bring anything to the table. In fact, it seems as though God actually has to do things so that you can respond to the light given so that you can be saved Uh, there there's like 283 things that happen when you get saved and people like to argue about whether you're justified first enlightened first um, regenerated 1st don't want to get into the argument i'm just saying if you're dead he's got to do something to put you in a place where you can actually make a decision to believe and so it really does come down to uh, him. Okay, according to Ephesians 2:3, Romans 7:14, Romans 8:5 to 8, 1 Corinthians 1.18, uh Jude 19, how has our position of sin affected our nature? Now, nature basically going to be defined as the the way you do things. Okay? Position, that's what's true about you. Uh, Nature, because this is true about you, this is how you live. Okay, so Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom uh, also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So how did our position of sin affect our nature? It affects your conduct. Think with me for a minute. If you have no access to the spiritual realm, what do you have going your way? You have reason and imagination. Okay? So when he says that we uh, conducted ourselves in the desires of our flesh, then you're just thinking about what this body wants And fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, so you've practiced a few things and figured out what you really like the best, and that's all you got, okay? Uh, uh, Romans 7.14, and we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So how has our position of sin affected our nature? carnal. Now, I I think if you look at Romans chapter 7, the first 12 verses or so, you see where Paul is coming to the knowledge of sin. So at that point, I think he gets saved. And now he's beginning uh, an explanation of his understanding of the process of sanctification, where he knows what he's not supposed to do, doesn't want to do it as a new creature, but can't overcome that part of him that still wants to do those things. And this is the description before he gets started on that. I am carnal. I'm more oriented towards this body. And then he says, sold under sin. So he's still kind of trapped because he lives in this body. Okay? Uh, Chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. Uh, Now, in chapter 8, you have terminology used that elsewhere might be talking about a Christian that's making bad choices. Here, it's talking about an unbeliever. And in this passage, you'll see that this is obviously not a Christian making bad choices. In verses 5 through 8, it says, "...for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh." But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, or hostile, against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when we talk about walking according to the flesh... In Romans chapter 8, he's talking about an unsaved person. Because in verse 9, I probably should have thrown this in there. In verse 9, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Him. So the contrast is saved compared to unsaved. Most of this passage is about the unsaved person. So how has our position of sin affected our nature? Can we think about spiritual things? If we did, it's only in the realm of reason and imagination, so it can't be true. Okay? Um, What kinds of things are we going to be doing? Things that are oriented with the flesh. Uh, How's our relationship with God? Well, non-existent, but it's worse than that. It's we're hostile against him. Okay, we're at enmity against God. Um, We cannot do that which the law requires of us. Cannot. Now, when we look out at the unsaved person, we may see people who, you know, that guy's a pretty good guy. Don't you think God would give him a break And the answer is, yeah, um, what we look at as good is, well, it has a semblance of loving your neighbor as yourself, uh, but it's done in his strength, his power, maybe for decent motivation, but normally, you know, it makes me feel good that I did that. Mike? Yeah, he doesn't grade on a curve because he's holy and just, that's right. So he doesn't look at the good things that we see other people doing and call them good because he's the definition of good, and it doesn't measure up to his standard, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians one eighteen: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. So what does our position of sin affect our nature? How does it affect our nature? How we do things. Well, uh, let's deal with the wicked because we have been changed. Okay? So for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I'm not that bad of a person. I believe in Jesus I believe that he died for sin, and who's the boss of your life right now? You can't tell me what to do unless, never mind, I'm not going to go there. Moving right along. Okay, 2.14. (laughs) But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So what do we learn about how sin has affected the person? Now, I don't know about you, but how hard is it to understand, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Is that easy? Even for unbelievers. Unbelievers tell me all the time, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but... Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes down to, though intellectually you may grasp a concept, you do not grasp what that means between you and God. Okay? Yeah, we've all sinned. You know, but God's gracious. He's loving. So that excuses my sin. We're going to have a question a little bit later on that we're all going to have to go, wait a minute. Okay? Okay? But it kind of blows that whole argument away right there. All right, uh, moving right along, uh, Jude one nineteen. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. What's true about how sin has affected them? Okay, they're disruptors. Notice the first word, they're sensual. What does that mean? They're operating according to their senses. S- not by faith obviously yeah uh so if i can see it taste it touch it hear it you know that kind of thing then everything's cool unless you want to throw in the sixth sense you ever when we were growing up the the sixth sense was a series about esp Ooh. uh there are some believers that i really think that That's what they think they got. I don't know. Uh, But, uh, yeah, they're sensual. They're oriented toward their senses. And in so doing, obviously somewhere in a rush, they're going to cause divisions. Okay? All right. So that brings us to number seven. The natural product, this is on page 140, the natural product of a sinful sinful nature is? Sins. This is one of the reasons why when un- uh, unbelievers come into the church, we really cannot be um, looking at them and expecting that they're going to do things, think like we do. Because the natural product of being a sinner is they're going to sin. Okay, number eight. He does not blank sins any more than he forgives Satan on the cross in the person of his Son, our Father once and forever, blank with the blank of sin, thereby blank our blank of sin. Wow, I like all those blanks in there. (laughs) Okay, so let's uh, start over. He does not what sins any more than he forgives Satan. He does not forgive sins. Now, wait a minute. I can show you verses that say we're forgiven. Mm. Let's follow this through because it really does make sense as we see what he's saying. But the first statement sounds like wait a minute, Ephesians 1-7, we're forgiven. Okay? Ah, uh, so what does He do? Well, let's look at the rest of it. On the cross, in the person of His Son... Our Father once and forever dealt with the principles of sin, thereby canceling our position of sin. This is a pretty big point in the sense of, someone recently said, you know, when temptation comes my way, I have a choice to glorify God. or to indulge self. That's not necessarily wrong, but I want you to think about something for just a second. If I reckon myself to be dead indeed to sin, what's my one and only choice? To glorify God. So when I think I have this choice between this and this, I am believing, if you will, that I am a sinner saved by grace. Instead of believing myself to have been died with Christ, buried with Christ, raised again, and now I'm a new creature. I'm no longer bound to do those things. But see, that's where so often we associate ourselves with what we've been, instead of who we are. When you look at this paragraph, he's basically saying, look, God doesn't forgive your old sin. He judges it. And thereby, in, while well, in creating you a new creature, he cancels it. It's done. It, it, it's no longer yours. You're a different person. But we really do have to believe that we're a different person, like God says we are, in order to act that way. And we're still dealing with the old. <laughs> we'll get to the new in a minute. Okay? All right, so uh, any questions on uh, number eight there? Because that was the statement that basically takes care of the guy who thinks he's not that bad and God will understand. No, God doesn't understand. It's either judged on the cross, or it'll be judged at the great white throne. They're under condemnation already. Not someday, already. Okay? All right, number nine. Our sinful life and nature were not blank, but likewise were taken into the blank death of the cross. Let's start there. Page 141. Our sinful life and nature were not forgiven, but likewise were taken into the judgment death of the cross. Had it been possible for God to forgive our old nature, it could then have been blank or blank, restored or reinstated. Now, please understand, the reason why this statement is important is because all too many people go to churches where they have turned over a new leaf. They've decided, I'm not going to live that way anymore. And as old, sinful people, I am going to follow some rules. Now, they're probably going to disappoint themselves somewhere in the rush. How many of you have ever heard of, uh, you know, you just need to forgive yourself? Have you ever heard of that? That's basically saying, because those people will acknowledge, God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. So who's in charge here? Okay? What do you mean you can't forgive yourself? My expectation of me was higher than God's. Because I think somehow I can do it. That's the same concept here. If the old nature could have been forgiven, it could be renewed or restored. No, it had to die. Judgment had to come upon it. You had to become a new creature. And in being a new creature, you never have to worry about forgiving yourself because if you're not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to, when you fall on your face, yep, that's still a thing that God and me are working on. Apparently, he's working on it a little bit harder than I am because <laughs> I blew it again. You know, that kind of a thing. All right, moving down to number 10. Master, yes. The kids. We forgive others God is forgiven us. Oh, yes, I, I, I love you brought that up. Because, once again, I know all too many people, born again in some cases that can't forgive someone else. Um, exactly. In fact, if you don't forgive, Colossians, I think it's 3.13, says, God will not forgive you. No, wait, wait a minute. Some people will say, well, true Christians will forgive. I'm not ready to throw these people out with the bathwater because I know as a true Christian, you're still capable of all kinds of Silliness, okay? And so it really is a danger when a Christian will not forgive. Uh, some cases, because of marital counseling, it's uh, a spouse uh, was unfaithful. Well, I can't forgive him. Why not? I recognize that that is probably one of the worst betrayals. But Christ died for it. It was his sin against God or her sin. <laughs> yeah. So, with that in mind, if Christ can forgive it, we're called to. Wait a did he forgive it or did he judge it at the cross? He judged it at the cross, and therefore, we as new creatures can confess, we can agree with God. And he forgives afterwards because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. For the old man, that's not forgiven. It's got to be judged. For the new man, you have your lapses. You believe lies. Those things can be forgiven when you agree with God about what they were. My is My is exactly. Exactly. Very good. Practice is forgiven. Old position judged New position, righteous in Christ. Which allows for for the forgiveness. Okay, because again, it was already paid for. Okay, a bunch of verses here Romans 6, 2 to 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. uh, 1 Peter, oh, there's a a number one missing in there. I I don't know what happened there, but that's okay. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 24, 1 John 3, 5. How did God take care of sin? Romans 6, 2 9, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, And we are associated with Christ through spiritual baptism, so that we died with Him, buried with Him, raised again, to walk in newness of life. Second uh, Corinthians 5:21, "For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him." How did God take care of our sin? Yeah, he put it on Christ, made Christ sin on our behalf, uh, so that we could be made righteous. First Peter two twenty four, who himself bore our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. How does God take care of sin? Again. The whole concept of he doesn't forgive it, he judges it for those that are in Adam. 1 John 3:5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So he takes them away, he cancels the position of sin by making us new creatures. Okay, that brings us to chapter 30, our history in the last Adam. Uh just got to look at one thing here. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, that's the last question. I thought I w- was here, but it's actually at the last. Okay, on page 143, now, safely and forever, on blank ground in him, we can study, number one, our new position of blank, number two, our new nature of blank, and number three, our walk of blank. Is it? Shame on me. It's on the top of page 144. There we go. <laughs> okay. Now, safely and forever on resurrection ground in Him. Notice buried with him, uh, died with him, buried with him, raised with him. So we're on resurrection ground. And we're safely and forever. Uh, Hebrews says that uh, when he uh, died for sin, he forever sat down. In other words, once he made his offering, the work is done. Elsewhere it says that uh, he has forever perfected Them who are sanctified. Uh, Listening to the uh, preacher today on 89.3 Calvary Chapel uh, station, and uh, someone had to call and ask, Can a believer lose their salvation? And the first guy said, I don't believe you can lose it, but I believe you can walk away from it. Kind of like his theology is incomplete. If you died with Christ, were buried with Christ, were raised again with Christ, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, forever perfected, sanctified, imputed righteousness, pleasing to God, and already seated in the heavenlies. You're going to get up and walk out. I want to see that. (laughs) Um, The next preacher, because there was two of them talking together, the next preacher actually said, a true believer will never walk away. Well, that means you can't lose your salvation. Um, the, The problem is, is whenever people talk about someone having lost their salvation, it's always someone who felt comfortable in the church for a period of time. 10 years. I knew this guy he was in the church for 10 years. And then somewhere in a rush, something happened where he left. First John, he left to prove, to make manifest that he was not one of us. Because if he was of us, he certainly would have remained. Yes? I think this is, um, I see it in my family, where I think some of this theology comes or is tied in with infant baptism. Ah, Yeah, and it's kind of like we go back to the Bible, and it's kind of like, well, baptized as an infant means they got wet. Uh, That's what it means. I I was baptized in a congregational church as a little munchkin, and uh, I got wet. Uh, After I believed, I started asking the pastor, hey, when can I be baptized? And he wasn't sure I was saved yet because I was still dancing and drinking and stuff like that. And he didn't want to put any sign of approval on me. So he kind of put it off for a couple of months, but he finally gave in and baptized me. And uh, hallelujah. (laughs) So uh, true story. They don't have to be baptized to to get wet. Okay. Um, So number one, our new position of? Life. Our new nature of? Righteousness. righteousness. And our walk of? Now, I don't know about you, but when, when you read this, our new position of life. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will be fruitful. Why? Because his life is flowing through you. Um, so, uh, was that? You truly being if, you are in him. if you abide in Him and His Word abides in you. Now, that, that requires a little bit of responsibility on our part, getting into His Word. Uh, but if you're attached, yeah, you can't prevent it, right? Okay, our new nature of righteousness. Again, we have a tendency to look at our condition and think... You instead of our position, God's pleased with me. Yes, I blew it. He knows I blew it. Let's agree with Him and get back to walking with Him. Yeah, there may be some consequences to my sinful choices. That's life in the big city. What you sow is what you reap. There's always going to be that. Uh, but, and then our walk of fruitfulness. As we walk according to the life that is in us and uh, that righteousness shows forth, we will be fruitful. So we got a bunch of verses here. According to John 14, 6, Romans 6, 11, Galatians 2, 20, Colossians 3, 3, and 4, where is our life? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's in Christ. Uh, Romans 6.11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where's our life? And, of course, there it tells you, just just believe what God says is true here, right? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where's our life? And Colossians 3, 3, and 4, For you died, you, the old you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Uh, Where is our life? Okay, number 13. In our co-blank with Christ, our Father gave us a new blank with a new blank which can only bring forth blank. So, uh, oh, that's, I'm sorry, that's on page 144. I didn't put that there. Shame on me. Page 144. Okay, in our co-resurrection with Christ. uh, You know, every now and again, I'll say something along the lines of, look, The resurrection is the most important part of the gospel. We as Christians really like the fact that Christ died for our sins. Isn't that special? But without the resurrection, we above all people are without hope. And now we're tying His resurrection to our position. Oh, in our co-resurrection with Christ... Our father gave us a new <laughs> New life, okay, with a new now we got the nature, uh, which can only bring forth righteousness. OK? So again, as we walk with him, the result is in practice what is true about our position. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have our failings, okay? Uh, Sometimes our failings are because we're not believing the truth. Sometimes we're believing lies. And yes, those are different in the sense that you may not know the truth yet and the information that you have is false. Okay, number 14, according to Ephesians 4:24, Colossians 3:10, 1st 1 Peter 1:23, 1, 1st 1 John 3:9, 1st John 5:18. What is tr- true about our uh, new nature and practice? Ephesians 4:24, and that you put on the new man which is created after God, uh, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What is true about our nature? it is created after god or according to god it is truly righteous it is truly holy so how if we put that new man on now we have put the new man on already we're saved but he's saying something here put it on what do you think he's saying Living. live according to who you are okay now if we live according to who we are what's going to happen to our practice going to change it's going to come out like it would have out of Christ. Okay? Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So what do we find out about our new nature? It's it's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So uh, this is the same thing we th- see in... Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 or 3 and uh, Romans 12, um, 2, where we're not going to be conformed to the image of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Or as Corinthians says, we're looking into the mirror darkly and uh, we're being changed from glory to glory by seeing the glory of the Lord in that mirror. Uh, So... Uh, and notice again, the the image of uh, the, the new man is created uh, according to the image of him that created him. So it's again created according to God. First Peter one twenty three, having been born again, not of corruptible seed but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. So what do we learn about our new nature? It abides forever. It's incorruptible, which we're going to see right here in 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. When we say that this new nature is incorruptible, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, It's renewed in knowledge, so, you know, it needs to keep on being fed and and grow and stuff like that. But it doesn't sin. Now, Now, notice first the new man. That doesn't mean you don't, but that part of you. This is the same thing in Romans 7. Things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the things I do. Paul is identifying himself as the new creature. He's not sitting there saying, well, I got this new creature in me, and I got this body, and these two are at odds, and no, I'm this guy. I happen to live in this body, and as long as I'm in this body, the law of sin is there, but I am the new creature. I'm new in Christ. I'm uh, the one that doesn't sin. It's sin that dwells in me. Oh, again, how that all works out. We're still working a few things out in our heads. I don't know about you. First John 5:18. For the we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not t- uh, touch him. What do we learn about our new nature and therefore practice? Born of God doesn't sin. Remains in him, okay? And uh, the wicked one doesn't touch him in the sense of the only, only thing he can do is what God allows him to do, which is going to be more with the, uh, what's going on around us, how we respond. It's, it's not going to be—he uh, he cannot touch, per se. Okay, number 15, page 145 in your books— the blank is our blank in this sin-cursed world. He it is who blanked the life of the Lord Jesus in us as our new life and who blanked uh, the blank of that life in and through our new nature. Whew. Boy, when, you, when you're just saying blanks, it doesn't make any sense, does it? So let's figure out the words. Uh, first of all, uh, number one there, the blank. The comforter is our environment in this sin-cursed world. He it is who ministers the life of the Lord Jesus in us as our new life and who develops the characteristics of that life in and through our new nature. Um, You might remember a little while back, we had a bunch of signs up Uh, bathrooms, uh, fountains, and stuff like that. And it said something along the lines of fruit happens. We, in our discussion uh, with Pastor before his surgery, uh, we were talking and he goes, look, we are event and product oriented. So we want to see that day when a person gets saved, and then we want to produce the fruit of the spirit. Problem. Oh, uh, one author puts it this way: When we tell our kids to behave according to the fruit of the spirit, we're basically stapling fruit. And what came to mind was the movie "Get Smart," where uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson comes in and asks these two comedians if something was theirs. They, they had done something with the Xerox machine. And he has a stapler in his hand, <laughs> and, he, and he puts the paper on top of the guy's head and goes, bam, <laughs> and staples the paper to his head. Well, that's what we do when we're uh, concentrating on making our kids behave the way only the Spirit of God can actually cause it to happen. Uh, we we want to produce something instead of bear the, uh, the fruit um, because it's the spirit that does it. It's not us, okay? Okay, in page 146, last page, how does Galatians 220 affect our lives? Uh, the second full paragraph there, if you didn't catch it. It okay, clarifies the distinction of who we were in the first Adam uh, compared to what we are in the uh, last Adam. Notice uh, there is a vital distinction here that when seen makes a world of difference. Number one, I, the old man in Adam, have been crucified with Christ. Number two, it is no longer the old I that lives, but Christ lives in me, the new creation. Number three, the life which uh, the new man now live in the flesh, uh, uh, excuse me, the life which I, the new man, now live in the flesh, body, I, the new man, live in faith. Number four, this faith is in the Son of God who loved me as a lost individual, gave himself up for me, a sinner.